joke sounds a bit crazy, doesn't it? I can, as we begin this nine-week series, we're, we're looking at these characters during the weekends. We're looking at the characters during our small groups. If you haven't signed up, you can do that. As of today, there are daily Bible reading notes that I've written that are online on the Timberline site, so you can really immerse yourself in these, uh, in these stories. But I I can almost imagine someone saying, why on earth are we doing this, looking at these bad people? Why don't we look at good people? And that's a good rhetorical question, but it's fairly easily answered. These stories are recorded in the Bible for our understanding and help. And actually, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he talks about the negative example of the wandering Israelites. And he says their story was recorded as, a, as a, a warning to us, and there are therefore many lessons um, that we can learn. So uh, this weekend, we're going to kick this thing off, and we're going to look at the story of Cain and Abel, particularly Cain, and I've called this message, Don't Take a Walk on the Wild Side. Don't Take a Walk on the Wild Side. Genesis chapter 4 contains the story, verse 2, let's take a look. Genesis 4 verse 2, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, if you refuse to do what is right, then you, you, excuse me, if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you'll be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Cain replied to the Lord, my punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. The Lord replied, No, for I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. My apologies for my lack of reading skills. The reason for that is this thing is making me nervous. It died on me. Last night, it has a devil. <laughs> My apologies. When it comes to sports, I'd, uh, I'd just really like to tell you that I was quite an athlete in, in high school. I'd appreciate it if you would laugh at the appropriate time. Yes, it's, uh, it, I'd love to tell you that uh, I was uh, great at uh, soccer, the game of the Lord, um, cricket, great swimmer. Uh, I think I'd, I'd just like to say that I was, I was just a real jock. I don't actually know what a jock is, but I, I think I was one of those. I'd like to say that, but I can't because I was terrible. 
It was embarrassing. I really hated that time. Do you remember that time when they picked the teams? It was traumatic. You would line up and these two muscle-bound captains who had muscles in places where I didn't have places, they would survey the available resources and I'd be standing there and I wasn't even a Christian at the time, but I'd pray, oh God, I'm willing to be a martyr if someone would just pick me. We'll take him, we'll take him, we'll take him, we'll take him, we'll take him. And and, and the, the numbers are decreasing. And I'm standing next to a guy who's recovering from an accident. He's got a broken leg. It's in a cast. And it's finally just me and him. And they take the guy with the broken leg. It felt so unfair, rejected again. At first glance, this story seems somewhat unfair. There are two brothers, Abel, who is a shepherd, Cain, who is a a farmer. They are the sons of Adam and Eve. And Abel brings an offering to God, and it is accepted. We're not told how how he knew it was accepted. Uh, Jewish tradition has it that fire fell from heaven and consumed it. The Bible doesn't say that, although that did happen five times in the Old Testament. Cain brings an offering, and the offering is rejected. Initially, Cain is not rejected at all, but his offering is. And at first glance, it all seems so very unfair, because there is no clear explanation given to us in the Genesis narrative. You have to do a little biblical detective work, not to find out who done it, we know who done it, but to find out more of the background here. And so we're going to explore that together. But before we, before we dig into that, let's know this truth. Cain and Abel were called to worship God, and so are we. So are we. The pages of the Bible, Old and New Testament, it's like a a clarion trumpet call from the Holy Spirit summoning the people of God to be worshippers. Genesis begins with Adam and Eve fellowshipping with God in the garden, worshipping, but there's a snake in the grass and everything goes wrong. The patriarchs begin to build their altars. They worship. And then in Exodus, a tabernacle is established, a a central gathering point for the nation, people to come, for people to come and worship. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, it's an elaborate uh, series of teachings and laws about the sacrificial system. It's all about worship. And then in established Israel, the temple is built, one of the wonders of the world, the center for worship. And there's this cycle that goes on because Israel worships God and worships idols, worships God and worships idols. And so the prophets come and they they try and nudge God's people into true worship. In the Psalms, the psalmist repeatedly echoes the call to worship. Psalm 5 and verse 11, let all who take refuge in the Lord rejoice Let them ever sing for joy. Psalm 22 verse 3, God inhabits 
the praises of his people. Psalm 29 verse 11. Give to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Psalm 32 verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous. Shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Psalm 47 verse 1. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Psalm 98 verse 1. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. In Psalm 150 there is no less than 13 different commandments that we should praise the Lord. And then in the Gospels, we hear Jesus revealing that the Father is looking for those who will worship in spirit and in truth. The early church was so immersed in worship that on their first official gathering, their first service, which happened on the day of Pentecost, it was so noisy that people thought the Christians were drunk because they were so caught up in that experience. In the epistles, in, in Corinthians, there's order in worship. In James, there's a command about superficiality in worship. In Ephesians, the great vision of Christ that we worship. In Galatians, defense of freedom in worship. In Colossians, super spirituality coming into worship. In First Peter, we're a royal priesthood of worshipers. In Hebrews, a call to come into the holy of holies as worshipers. And in Revelation, where it's so noisy that if it gets quiet for half an hour, someone actually writes it down as being unusual. There is the call to worship. We are called to worship. And it isn't that God has got an ego problem. Tell me how much, tell me how great I am. Tell me how wonderful I am. It isn't that. When we worship, we are living in a restoration of the divine order of things. Humans worshiping God. Bob Dylan famously, years ago, sang, you're gonna serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. And we're called into that right order of worship. As we worship God, there is revelation, fresh encounter. We discover who he is. When we worship, we, we recalibrate we recalibrate and align ourselves afresh to his purposes. This thing that was making me obviously nervous earlier, I prayed over it earlier, I rebuked it, and then I switched it off and turned it back on again. The solution to most technological problems. <laughs> and when I worship, I am rebooting my heart and realigning myself with the truth about God. So as we try and piece all this together, let's dive in if you're following in the bulletin. Uh, there are six points this week, not 10. And great was the relief of the people of God. And everybody said. <laughs> Number one. Number one, God sees gift and giver. God sees gift and giver. Genesis 2, the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. There's not rejection at this point or exile, but God saw both giver and gift. Look at 1 Samuel 16. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
In Matthew 5, Jesus says, so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. In Matthew 23, Abel is described as righteous Abel. God sees gift and giver. We are, uh, Kay and I are empty nesters. Our kids uh, moved out uh, long ago. And um, so we recently decided to extend our family. We've um, had a lady uh, come to live with us. And uh, so far, it's gone pretty well. And she's uh, really helpful. Uh, Occasionally a a little rude to me, but we're getting through. Uh, Her name is Alexa. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you go, oh, yeah, yeah, Alexa. Uh, I got a text this morning. Uh, someone listened to this message last night. And their Alexa went crazy when they were listening to the message. It's a byproduct. What is it? It's a, an Amazon device, a, a voice recognition device. And I can say to Alexa, she, she lives in our kitchen. And I, I can say, what's the weather like? Or, or, or tell me a joke or uh, or tell me you love me. Uh, she's kind of rude, though, because of my accent. She actually, I'm not making this up. Sometimes, because of my accent, she actually says, I don't understand you. I'm like, I've got enough humans being rude to me. I don't need a robot. When we worship, God is not listening to the radio. You see, I can say to Alexa, play me Nora Jones, and music comes out, and I enjoy the music. When we worship, God is not just tuning into the song. He's listening to our hearts. We are presenting ourselves to him, not just going through something mechanical or habitual. Let me pause with that and ask this question. Have, have you ever given Jesus your heart? You say, what? How do I do that? Well, the heart speaks of the center of all things, making him your absolute priority. Lord, King, the one in charge. Heart. God is not just looking for a song. He's looking for hearts. God sees gift and giver. Secondly, worship is an act of faith. Worship is an act of faith. Look at Hebrews 11. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God shows his approval of his gifts. Now we're filling in a bit more of the backfill of the story. You see, it was an act of faith that Abel brought. And worship is an act of faith. Let's face it, God is invisible. Is anyone like me, sometimes praying seems weird because you're chatting with someone you can't see? Or is it just me? And worship can feel strange because you, you can't see him or feel him or necessarily hear him. It's an act of faith. But it's also an act of trust when we worship. We don't wait for all of our questions to be resolved before we worship. We worship in the midst of our questions. Yesterday, I was sitting in my study and reflecting on something that happened in Belfast, Northern Ireland. I went to speak at a conference there. I'd spoken there two or three times. And uh, at the end of one of the services, a gentleman came up to me 
And he said, Jeff, uh, last year when you were here, you spoke about healing. And I said, yeah, I remember that. He said, well, I need to tell you what happened to me. He said, I came forward for prayer at the end of the service, and I had advanced prostate cancer. It really was not looking good. And he said, I stood there at the front um, with my eyes closed, and one of the prayer team came and prayed for me. And they said, amen, and I thought, I'll head back to my seat. But then another member of the prayer team came and prayed for me, and I thought, okay, I'll get a double dose. That's, that's good. And they said, amen. He said, I'm just about, I've got my eyes closed still, and I, I'm thinking I could probably go back to my seat now. When he said, somebody else came up and put their hands on my shoulder. And he said, the moment that they did, he said, the temperature in my body just shot up, and I began to sweat profusely, and I had to take my pullover off. Do, you, do we use the word pullover here? We do? Because you pull it over, don't you? <laughs> Just checking. Sweater. And he said, as I took my sweater off, I opened my eyes to see who it was who had their hands on my shoulder, and there was no one there. And I'm like, what's going on? And he said, I went in uh, to the hospital the next week, and I was declared completely clear. The cancer had disappeared. And uh, here I am a year later, and I have been totally healed. And, and I, I'm, I'm trying to not look surprised. Because I'm, I'm the guy who preached healing, but I don't see as much healing as I'd like to see. And I was thinking about that story yesterday, and thanking God for that, when, ding, my email went. And it's an email from a friend in England who's been in the hospital for a month, second stem cell transplant. They've just found, they think, new cancer. You see, that's where we live. That's where we live. We live in the midst of, yes, God does it, and sometimes it doesn't happen. And it isn't only unanswered prayer that creates mystery. Answered prayer creates questions. Why did God do that? But not that. But we worship as an act of faith. Thirdly, thirdly, bring the fat and the first fruits. Bring the fat and the first fruits. Look at Jude 11, another reference to this story. For they follow in the footsteps of Cain who killed his brother. Uh, another translation talks about the way of Cain. And most commentators believe that this refers to Cain deciding to worship God his way rather than in the way that God required it. And there's a very interesting little word in the Genesis story that talks about Abel bringing the first fruits. It was the first fruits. This was sacrificial. This was not tipping God. This was genuine giving. This was not an afterthought. Well, maybe, but this was something really precious that Abel brought. In 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, it says, God loves a cheerful giver. I really love that verse because the word cheerful there in the Greek is hilarities. God loves a hilarious giver. And in our giving and in our singing and in our worship and in our living, let's bring the best, bring the fat and the first fruits. Number four, number four, worship often generates conflict. 
Worship often generates conflict. And yet another verse referring to this story, 1 John 3. We must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. The worship service ignited evil in Cain. Here's what I've discovered. I've been a pastor now for about 450 years. Christians fight all the time about worship. It happens all the time. Um, someone is worshiping God exuberantly and, and someone else looks at them and says, they're just showing off. They're just, just trying to draw attention to themselves. That's what they're doing. Or maybe someone's a little quieter in the way they express worship and the exuberant guy says, yeah, you're just dead, aren't you? Helpful. Or, or someone says, well, clapping the Lord, that's not reverent, is it? We need to understand what the word reverent means. To revere someone means that you do what they ask of you. So when I go see the queen to uh, give her advice about stuff, <laughs> and it doesn't happen so much these days because she just kept calling, and I'm like, listen, Lizzie, quit it. You know, I'm a busy guy. If I ever got to see the queen, which I never have, I, I have to go and I have to bow and I have to initially refer to her as your majesty and thereafter as ma'am. And then when we finish the conversation and she has a signal that basically says we're done now, which is she shakes your hand. What that means is go away forever. Do You then reverse back and then walk away. It's revering her in the way that protocol requires her to be revered. Reverence is not about necessarily being quiet or hushed. It's about doing what is asked of you. The Christians fight about it. They, they fight about music. I don't like that song, so I'm pretty sure God doesn't like it either. And worship can, can become a consumer product. Talked about this before, but you know, maybe, maybe when you come to Timberline, um, you know, the ushers could greet you and they could say, good morning, welcome to Timberline Church. Would you like to sit in clapping or non-clapping today? Oh, I've had a bit of a rough week. Can I sit in non-clapping, non-smiling, non-singing, non-participating in the service in any way whatsoever, non-giving, non-listening to the sermon? Can I sit in that section? Oh, I'm very sorry. That section's always very full. I'm afraid we just get in, just get in, just messing with you. Let's worship. Let's not fight about worship. Number five, number five, check what's at the door. Check what's at the door. See, Cain was told that sin is crouching at the door. A while ago, uh, Cain and I went with some friends up into the mountains and we were riding around on these, these four-wheeler things. I'm dramatically acting it out. You see that there? You know what I'm talking about? ATVs. Help me out, people. Just come on. And um, we're riding around, and, and, and suddenly uh, Kay stopped and she said, Look, there's a moose. And uh, I'd already gone by it, and so I stopped and I put the ATV in reverse and I turned the ATV off. And I, I look back, and there's this moose, and he's crouched down and he's chewing a tree or something. And, and I was so tempted with all the moose jokes, you know, hey, moose, why the long face? All that kind of stuff, but I didn't do that. And then suddenly the moose looked up and he thought to himself, 
I see an English person. I'm going to change my lifetime habits as a vegetarian. Go snack on a British chap. So he's now, he looks up, he's crouched down, he looks up and he's charging towards me and, I, and Kay took off and I felt led to take off too. So I switched the ATV on and I slammed the gas, but I'm in reverse. And I reverse back towards the moose and the moose is looking at me, looking at like, you are the stupidest person ever seen. And finally, I got away and he slowed down and he was crouching and then he came at me. See the picture? Cain is given that picture. The Hebrew word is of a crouching animal that could suddenly charge. And God says to him, he doesn't say bring me a different offering. He says, do what's right. Do what's right. And there's a very interesting picture in the Hebrew. God says, why are you downcast? And then in the Hebrew, God says, if you do what's right, there will be uplift. It's kind of weird. You're downcast, you'll be uplifted if you do what is right. I'm reminded of that verse, which talks about God being the glory and the lifter up of our heads. Let's check what's at the door because sin is not level ground. First of all, Cain is angry and jealous. And then he ignores God's questioning. Imagine that. Just ignores God. And then he murders. And then he lies to God. There's deterioration. But also this story shows us that there's forgiveness. Look at this, Hebrews 12. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. I wonder before I move on to the last point, who among us have dragged ourselves in here today and our habit is to live in shame and our faces and our hearts are downcast. Let me explain the difference between guilt, which can be good, and shame. Some people think that guilt's the enemy, that we, we need to live in a morally neutral state. That, that's crazy. Guilt is a laser. Guilt says, you did that wrong. Now, Let's get that sorted out. Guilt is a laser. Shame is blanket. It shrouds you. It drapes itself over you. Guilt says, you did that wrong. Shame says, you're wrong. You're no good. And actually, shame never motivated anybody. The good guilt that comes from the conviction of the Holy Spirit that came to Cain. Sin is crouching at the door. Do what is right. Let's respond to that. And if we're living with shame, let's bring that to this Jesus who came to lift our heads. Well, the last thing is this. Create a legacy beyond this life. Create a legacy beyond this life. You see... Whether we like it or not, we're all going to leave a legacy. 
And it will be a legacy after we die, but it's a legacy now. We are all influencers in some way. We influence people around us. Adam and Eve had a terrible legacy in the fall of humanity and the murder of their firstborn and the estrangement of their of their other son. We all have a legacy. I wonder what they're going to say about us at the funeral when they're trying to decide the funeral is done and they're trying to decide which sandwiches to have cheese, ham, cheese and ham what will they say of us Abel had a legacy in a very strange verse in Luke 11 Jesus refers to Abel as a prophet but get this there is not one recorded word from Abel in the entire Bible. Prophets normally speak. <laughs> How did he prophesy? There's not one word that he said is recorded, but Jesus says he's a prophet. I love how the Bible fits together because there's an answer to that question in Hebrews chapter 11. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. Jesus says he's a prophet but doesn't explain it. The writer to the Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, explains to us it wasn't Abel's words. It was his worship and his faith that was a legacy. When we worship God, if you're a parent, if your children are with you and you're a worshiper, you are creating a legacy to them. When you worship God, you are creating a legacy to your friends, to those around you. You are making an impact. And Abel had a legacy that we, even today, so many years later are participating in. Let's be worshippers. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you because you are worthy of our praise. And whatever it means, Lord, for each one of us as individuals to move forward in worship, and it will mean different things, would you continue to move us as a community of your people further forward as worshipers? Would you bless our teams that lead us in worship? May we never treat worship as a preliminary something to get through. May we never come with, without thought, without reflection, without sacrifice. May we come with our hearts to worship you. We pray, Lord, for any here 
for whom it is true that sin is crouching at the door. And if we are accommodating it, feeding that beast, would you grant us grace to do what is right? And for those who find ourselves downcast because shame stalks us, would you help us to accept the free gift of your love, which we could never, ever begin to earn? It is outrageous. Help us to accept it, we pray.